Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. All right, you'll probably want to follow along this morning in notes. Um, hopefully you grab some of those. If not, just look after the, the, the person next to you or something. And uh, you can also listen to this again. This is going to be available on podcast. You can watch the video again on Facebook. And if you want a copy of the notes digitally, you can email me at greg.grimwood at gmail.com. And I'll make sure you get a, a copy of those notes. So did anyone make resolutions? Are you guys resolution makers? Raise your hand if you made resolutions this year. No, we are a bunch of unmotivated people. <laughs> so we have like two people. Is, seriously, nobody else made resolutions? That's okay. I didn't either, but uh, <laughs> I'm just looking at people like, no, they stopped doing that 10 years ago. All right, well, if you, that's, never mind then. This isn't going to work. My joke's not going to work. Uh, we are going to take advantage of this time, though, because it is, a, it is a time where some of us are naturally wanting to create some new habits and do some new things. Um, and create resolutions. And I do want to suggest a community church-wide resolution for us. And it is that we develop a quiet time that feels like delight and not duty. Now, if you already have a quiet time, and I'll explain what that means in a minute, but if you already have one, you know what that means. And this is going to be helpful for you too. Uh, this isn't going to be a waste uh, because this, is, this has the potential to infuse your time with the Lord with a little bit more meaning and value because in the next several weeks, I'm going to be going into a deep dive of the, these different movements, these different elements of a quiet time. It's actually a fairly simple but sophisticated habit to have in your life. So you can keep it fairly simple. Today we're just going to go over the elements of a quiet time and the reason for doing it. But then the next few weeks, I'm really going to dive pretty deeply into the different elements and ways of being with Jesus on a regular basis. So wherever you're at on the scale, whether you've never heard of quiet time or you've been doing it for 40 years, I think this can still be encouraging for you. So here's the definition of quiet time. It's a regular time with God consisting of silence, scripture, and prayer. Now, I actually think that all three of those elements are important, and we're going to go into why in a little while, but I think you need to have space for silence in your quiet time, and obviously you need to be engaging with God through scripture. It's the clearest and cleanest way, way that he's revealed himself to us. And you also have to have time when you're conversationally interacting with the Lord. So that's a quiet time. Now, most people think of quiet time as a duty. So we, we make things into duty as Christians. Like, we do this in a lot of really weird, strange ways. Like, imagine... This is kind of one of those things that it, only if you're a Christian you get this, but if a bunch of Christians go out for a meal together and they're sitting around the table, before you eat, one of them might do this. What does this mean? 
Not it. means I'm not going to do it. So the last person to put their thumbs up is the one that has to pray. Like, that's what we do. We, do these, we have these weird little inside jokes that the rest of the world is like, what are you guys doing? That's so weird. It means you have to pray. Last person, like, oh, I have to talk to God. Finally, I'll do it. So we turn, like, interacting with God into a chore. Like, we don't want to do that. It's a duty. You're going to make me do this? Fine, I'll do it. And we're also a production-driven culture, which means we like making things into goals, which is good. It's, it's good to be goal-driven. It helps with momentum in life. It's good to be production-driven, but you have to be careful about that when it comes to the kingdom in spiritual things. Because if you turn a quiet time into a goal, what is intended to be an enjoyable, relational time with the Lord turns into something that you feel like you do have to check it off your list. And the intention behind even making a goal for quiet time is usually good. Because we know it's something we should be doing. We know it's good for us. So we'll just force ourselves to create this unrealistic goal so that we're plowing through Scripture. The intention's good, but the solution of making it into a goal, I don't think actually is good. Because what happens when you turn something into a goal and you start slacking on it? You start shaming yourself. You get down on yourself. Man, I should, I know I should be reading the Bible. This is something that pastors get to hear a lot, and we're just like, relax, it's okay. Like, I know, I know I should be doing, reading the Bible more. I'm not reading the Bible enough. I'm going to make a goal, and we're going we're gonna to get through the Bible this year. I, you don't need to do that. It shouldn't feel like a chore. It doesn't have to feel like a, a duty. Now, there are some things in life that are duty. There are some things in life that you should approach as a duty that's not necessarily enjoyable. You need a, you know a category of discipline or self-control in your life for these things. For me, one of those things would be exercise. I need external help from other people to exercise. Some of you are intrinsically motivated to exercise, and I'm super jealous because for whatever reason, it's just not there for me. So I have to, every Wednesday, I go to the burger farm, and I work out with David Berger, my guy, David Berger. Now, if you don't know David Berger, just imagine exercising with the Incredible Hulk. <laughs> and the first word that comes to mind is not delight. Now, it's delight being with David Berger, my guy. He's like becoming a really good friend. But the exercise part of it is duty. I need things around me to help me. I need encouragement. I need to be around people who are motivated. Uh, if you guys don't follow, if you're on Facebook, you should follow. Uh, Craig Naledi is starting a 24-7 warehouse gym in Worcester. He has one in Ashland, and I was there. And it's super motivating seeing these people who love exercising because it, it kind of wears off on you, and you begin to enjoy it too. So I'm going to be getting a membership when that starts here later this year. You should figure out ways to be around people that are going to make you better in these areas. Those guys are going to make me better just as a human, because I'll be in better shape. It's good. So there are categories in your life that you need to have for duty. 
You need extrinsic help or external help doing those things. Quiet time should not be like that. Quiet time should be something that is pure delight, that is enjoyable. All right. When we think, we should think of quiet time as a delight, if you're following along in your, in your notes. Now, you might not be there yet. I actually don't, I don't think, I don't know if anyone starts there thinking of like a personal devotional life as something I'm really excited to do. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, you can get there and just some simple measures that you can take and that's what we wanna talk about today and in the coming weeks. I want you to think of your quiet time as a warm relational time with the Lord, not a cold mechanical structure to be followed. And David Benner, in his book that I'll refer to a lot, um, you'll see the name of the book later in this teaching, says, the goal is to have a daily living connection with the Word, capital W, not just the Bible. The goal is to have a connection with the Word, not just the Bible. The Word is a person. It's Jesus. The Bible is a book. The Bible is a way that we have a connection with the Word. Just learning the Bible is not the point. The point is deeper intimacy, deeper union, deeper communion with Christ. So when we have our quiet time, it's not a mechanical study session. It's a way of being with the Lord. Because if your, your quiet time is just you're just reading a book, then it's gonna turn into duty no matter what, even if you just love learning things and reading books. It's gonna eventually be cold and mechanical. But if you believe that through the gentle, conscientious reading of scripture, you can actually have a genuine encounter with Jesus, it can become a delight. So the question that you have to wrestle with is, do you believe that Jesus actually wants to spend time with you? It's a legitimate question. And it's something that some of us probably do have to wrestle with. Do we believe that he actually wants to know us, to be friends with us? The two primary driving forces of the life of a Christian are love and joy. Those are the things that drive us. Those are the things that get us out of bed in the morning. So Christmas is a season of love. It's seeing that this invisible God became a person because he wants to be with us. He wants to spend time with us. That's love. The, the, the season of joy comes in Easter when we see that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. That should bring a lot of joy to our hearts because it means that everything's going to turn out good in the end. That's what Christians believe. Everything's going to work out because the scariest thing that could ever happen to us has just been fixed. We get resurrected bodies. Love and joy, those are the two things that get us out of bed in the morning. And if you don't believe that God loves you, then it's going to be difficult to have a quiet time. 
Why would you want to spend time with someone who's indifferent towards you? Why would you want to spend time with someone that doesn't love you, that isn't crazy about you? So we have to answer this question. The Bible gives us the answer to that question. Does Jesus want to spend time with you? And the answer is yes. He does. And we're going to look at this verse, Revelation 3.20, as a way of unpacking that just a little bit. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Now Jesus is... It's the voice of Jesus. He's talking, he's kind of like critiquing different churches, different gatherings that meet in different cities. And this is what he says to one of the churches in Laodicea. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. I will have fellowship with him. I'll have relationship with him. Now, the irony of this passage is that he's talking to a church. Jesus is talking to a church. He's talking to a church filled with people who don't want to spend time with him. And he's like, I would love to be involved with what you're doing. I would love to be involved in your life. Cultural Christianity didn't just start like recently. Cultural Christianity was happening from the very beginning. Cultural Christianity is claiming to be a Christian without an intimate loving connection with Christ. It's claiming to be a Christian without surrendering every aspect of your life to God. It's making decisions based on, well, just not even considering what Jesus would think. Or not even caring or being indifferent. It's thinking, I'm, I'm a part of a good group of people. You know, I go to church. I go to Southside. I'm good. And then leaving and not making everyday decisions based on increasing your intimacy with Jesus. And increasing, giving him an increasing authority over every aspect of your life. That's what it means to be a Christian. And Jesus, when you don't do that, Jesus is like outside knocking on the door of your heart saying, I'm glad you, you know, it's great you go to church on Sunday morning. And I would love to be more a part of your life. That would be even better. To drive this home a little bit more, let's, let's see what Jesus' thoughts are. Let's see what Jesus' opinion is about this version of cultural Christianity. Because I want to know what his thoughts are. If he has an opinion on something, I'm interested. So he says it in a few verses before this verse. He says, he's talking to the same community. He says, I know your works. This is Revelation 3, 15 and 16. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. The idea of lukewarm, you know, cultural Christianity is gross to Jesus. And I've heard some funny, like, teachings. I've said some funny things myself about this passage. Because some people read that and they think, you know, it would be better if you were just completely cold spiritually rather than lukewarm, rather than just a little bit interested in Jesus. He would rather you just be like a Hindu or something than sort of into Jesus. That's not what this passage is saying. 
And to understand what this passage is saying, you have to understand a little bit more of the culture back then. Back then, it was, if you found cold water, that was great. Because guess what? You can drink cold water. They didn't have refrigerators and stuff. So you have cold water, that's wonderful for drinking. It's useful. You have hot water, not going to drink that, but I'm going to bathe in it. Hot water is wonderful for bathing. Lukewarm water was pretty much good for nothing. Hot water is useful. Cold water is useful. And he's speaking to this church in Laodicea. Now, Laodicea didn't have a natural source of water, so they had to pipe water in. And maybe five to ten miles south of Laodicea, there's these hot springs where people would go and bathe. And if they piped the water in from the hot spring, like maybe we'll be able to use that to bathe too. By the time it got to them, it was lukewarm. It's like, it's chilly. I'm not going to bathe in that. It doesn't feel good. It feels kind of gross. And then there were mountains around Laodicea that had cold water, streams of cold water. And you could go up to the mountains on a hot day and be refreshed by having, having some cold water. But if they piped that water in, imagine the first person at Laodicea. They're all pumped. We just got this mountain spring water piped into the town. You know, Laodiceans lived pretty comfortably. They had a pretty good life. You go to this pump. You put your cup there. You're excited. Finally, cold water around here. You drink it, and it's lukewarm. It's not potable. Shouldn't drink lukewarm water back then. Spit it out of your mouth. You'd be so frustrated. You'd be so disappointed because... It's not useful. You can't do anything with this water. That's what Jesus is saying about lukewarm Christianity. You can't do anything with this. Like he, I want to use you in my kingdom, and I can't do anything. You're not, you're not being salt or light to the world. You're not flavoring the world with goodness, with a calm and joyful come off. You know, you're not loving other people sacrificially. You're not walking with purity and integrity. I can't, I can't do anything if you just look like everybody else. If you don't have this living connection with me, you're just not useful. That's what this passage means. And I want to go back to Revelation 3.20 because what makes us useful in the kingdom is a living connection with Jesus. That's what makes us an asset to the church and to other people's lives and to our own souls. So Revelation 3.20 again, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. And what he's saying is there is a way for you to become useful. You don't have to be lukewarm. And the way for you to become useful is to have an ongoing fellowship with me. Eating with someone, as we talked before in that time, uh, was a way that you gained intimacy and friendship and community with someone. So Jesus is standing at the door knocking. The other thing that's crazy to me about this is we get all the benefit and he does all the work. The Greek words that are used here 
indicate that Jesus has been standing at the door for a while. He's been there a while. And he's been knocking continuously at this door. You know what that means? That means we're the ones giving Jesus the cold shoulder. Like Jesus is standing at the the door of our hearts, the door of your life, and he's knocking and he's been there a while and he's saying, I will give you a reason for living that's better than anything that you could possibly choose on your own. I'll give you more joy and peace than you could ever get to on your own. I'll give you an eternity that makes the sufferings of this present time look like nothing and manageable. I will never leave you. I'll fill your life with good things because I'm a good God that gives good things to his children. I'll be your father, I'll be your friend, I'll be your helper, I'll be your strengthener. I'll do whatever you need, I'll give you whatever you need, I'll give you your heart's desires. I mean, the Bible's full of passages that promise these things, and Jesus is like, just let me in there. And we're like, nah, I'm good. I'm good. Like, we have to be talked into it. That's crazy to me. That's what this passage is is showing us. And what I want to do is talk about a way, I want this to become concrete now, but if Jesus is standing at the door of your life and knocking, I, I want to move from kind of abstract concepts now to something very real that you can do with this. Make it concrete. One of my mentors used to say, nothing becomes dynamic until it becomes specific. So if we just cut it off there, and I didn't tell you something to do with this, it'd probably be, well, that's great. Okay, Jesus, come in. I don't know how to do that. Uh, it's got to be something that you can actually take home and begin doing something with. So, here's what I want to do. Um, this week's application, each of these weeks, when I, as I go through your quiet time method in the coming weeks, there's going to be an application. And this week's is plan a quiet time for 2022 that feels light and easy, almost too easy. I heard someone say, if it feels too good to be true, it's probably God. Because that's just how he does things. So make it almost too easy. Make the bar so low that you can't fit underneath it. Like, be gentle with yourself. All right, Dallas Willard says, um, willpower is exhausting. So if you have to wake up in the morning and already exert some willpower to get through this, it's not going to last. You're going you're gonna to get through a week or so, and it's just not going to be there anymore. It's okay to spend time with Jesus in a way that you enjoy, that feels a little light. It's okay. All right, you can have, okay, so for your 2022 plan for a light and easy quiet time, I wanted to start by saying you can have a separate time for reading through the Bible if you want. This isn't that. So actually, I've talked to someone in here um, who is doing, who's been reading through the Bible for a couple years and does it like a, a quiet time, actually. Um, she, she didn't turn it into a task or a chore. It just feels more 
natural and relational. So she's one of the first people. It's Mariah. I'm just going to point her out. It's Mariah back there, um, Mariah Capina, where she's figured out how to read through Scripture in a way that doesn't feel oppressive, and it's really sweet. You should talk to her afterwards. Um, but this isn't your read through the Bible plan. I think it's important to have that. I have a separate time in my calendar where I'm doing a read through the Bible thing. I do it my own way. It's good to have a big picture of what God's done in the world through Scripture. But this isn't that. It's also good to study the Bible and have a category in your life for that. This isn't that. This is devotional time. So there's value in reading and study. But this is, your, this is something completely different. So initial preparation, choose a place. So, I mean, very practically speaking, you've got to choose a place where no one's going to bother you. Now, some of you have got young kids. It's going to be really hard. You can't do it in the bathroom. I would not like sit on the toilet and do your quiet time there. There's something about that feels wrong. But that might be the only place that you can actually have a quiet time. Or you actually, you know, your kids respect you enough that they're not going to barge into your bathroom. Or you can just lock the door and put something on that will muffle out the, the sound and you don't have to hear them. That's okay. Just 15, 20 minutes. They'll be fine. Um, you actually should enjoy the space too. That's kind of important. It should be a space that doesn't feel like a drag. So if you have kids, again, you're not hiding behind the furnace in the basement. You're, you're trying to find a place that feels like I could get used to spending a few moments here every day. This is fun. Maybe it's a favorite uh, seat or couch or a place in the, in the house that you, know, you, can, you can just tell your spouse, make sure the kids are, give me 15 minutes every morning in the space. I just want to be alone. You might have to work with your spouse on that. Jesus went to cool places. He did quiet times in the mountains. Uh, he would go to gardens. He would go on walks by the sea. It doesn't have to be a drag. You can actually enjoy the place where you're going. It doesn't have to feel like a chore. And then think through what you'll need. Uh, one thing that I would suggest is what you don't need is technology. Um, especially because I'm suggesting that you do this first thing in the morning. And if you start your day looking at your phone and you start streaming through social media or news, you're going to be behind the entire day. You know why? Because you listen to the voices of anxiety and pressure before you listen to the voice that brings peace and joy. If the first words spoken to you are from chaos... You're behind the whole day. You can't recover. You have to wait for the next morning. But if the first word spoken to you, I'm not turning any devices on, or it's on airplane mode, I just use it for the, the alarm, I'm not looking at it, let the first person to speak to you be the Lord. He's going to have something far better to say. And I don't know how else to say it. I mean, that's just a real thing. Let Jesus speak first. Don't listen to what the world says first. You'll, you'll never catch up. Not that day. All right. Some of you might need coffee. You just got to make a list of things you need. Um, for me, I get up and I have this hydrating drink because I'm usually parched when I wake up. 
I go to the bathroom like 18 times since I hit my 40s. In the middle of the night, I'm always up going to the bathroom, so I got nothing left. And I have to have this hydrating drink when I first get up in the morning. And then I have this journal that I bought from Murdy Creative. There's a guy, Josh, Josh Sefkal, is that how you say his name? He's a beast. He's like a really great pastor. He's from around here, and he's in Georgia now. But um, he, he had this post one time, something I saw, that he has this journal from Murdy Creative. And so I got one of these journals. They're really sweet. It's made in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and they're, it's a leather-bound, really fancy journal. And I spent some money on it because I was pumped about it. It's my quiet time journal. And unfortunately, a few weeks ago, our Shih Tzu, Stanley, got a hold of it and tore a corner off it, so I got to get it recrafted. But it's a really great journal. You need a journal. That's what I'm saying. You need a journal. And then you need a Bible. I got this really sweet Bible. So when I was at the chapel, there was like, it was thousands of people there, so it was a huge church, and we bought a ton of Bibles for the church, and because of that, Crossway actually said, if you're a pastor at the chapel, there's like 20-some of us, you can have a free Bible from Crossway. You can choose, I might have told you this before, you can choose any Bible you want. And we were like, are you kidding me? Lambskin. I, got, I will never have a lambskin Bible if I have to buy it on my own, but Crossway's getting... Awesome. I got a lambskin Bible, and unfortunately, a few weeks ago, our Shih Tzu Stanley got a hold of it, <laughs> tore into it, and that's what you get for having three dogs in a really small house. You got to close the door every time you leave the bedroom, every single time. Those, I don't know why we have three dogs, but you need... You need something to drink, probably. Maybe it's a coffee. You need a journal that you're going to appreciate that feels good in your hands. You need a Bible. Those are the ingredients. All right, now, choose a time. It's got to be a time that will work for you pretty consistently, four to five days out of the week you're shooting for. You might enjoy it so much you never want to miss. That's kind of the place where I've gotten to where I just hate missing it. I feel like Again, I feel like I'm behind my day if I don't have time with the Lord first. I'm going to be pretty grumpy talking with you if I'm not with the Lord first because that's usually how I wake up. You know, humans are the only, what is it? Humans are the only things on, in all of creation that don't greet the morning with joy. You know, we haven't figured it out yet. So I'm still struggling a little bit when I wake up. And if I don't spend time with the Lord, then I'm not going to be pleasant to be around. So you might get to the place where it's every day, but start with four to five days a week. And ideally, this is first thing in the morning. Now, I understand there's all th sorts of things you got to think about, depending on the season of life that you're in, depending on how old your kids are, depending on what time you have to get to work. I mean, I've known guys that had, and ladies that have to get to work pretty early. They figured it out. There's always a way. Remember, there's no room for self-pity as a follower of Jesus. You figure it out. We, we of all people, shouldn't have any sense of, oh, gosh, I got to do that. You know, It's like, yeah, you get to spend time with the Lord. That's a good thing. Do that before you go to work. Probably will help. All right. So we're talking 15 to 20 minutes, and it's just setting enough time aside that it doesn't feel rushed. It's just like having a conversation with anyone else. You don't want to, you don't want to feel like, I got to get through this really quick because I got to get to this thing and I got to get to this thing. You want enough space 
consistently that you're not flying through it and worried about the next thing that you have to do. And remember, it's a relational time. It's a relational time with the Lord. You can't rush that. So how to move through your quiet time in a relational manner. How are we doing on time? Pretty good. How to move through your quiet time in a relational manner. First, begin in silence. Now, this is actually pretty important. And you can start with just like 60 seconds if you want. You'll, I would go longer. <laughs> I, go, I usually start 10 or so minutes in silence before I dig into Scripture. That's actually important. That's an important element in this. Because if you don't begin in silence and you start reading a passage, you're going to miss the finer details of the passage. So if you want to play with this and experiment with this a little bit, just pick up your phone and start scrolling through whatever you know, you're scrolling through and do that for 10 minutes and then read a difficult paragraph in a book. You're going to struggle. But if instead... You spend 10 minutes of silence just sitting there before God. And you're going to have to learn how to do that because that's hard to sit inside. You know, a lot of people, I tried it, I tried it, you know, like eight times and it never worked. And my, my brain just wouldn't stop. Yeah, it took me three years. It takes some time. It's a practice. But eventually, you sit in silence for 10, 10 minutes or so, and then you read. And it's like the passage becomes three-dimensional. There's a price to pay for getting to the finer details of Scripture. There's a price to pay for it. And part of that is silence. So I would really encourage you to begin to practice it. It's going to be hard. It's hard for everybody. You know, you don't need to tell your spouse how hard it is to sit that We get it. It is for everybody. It's the world that we live in. And do it anyways. And eventually you'll begin to enjoy that silence. It'll feel like a little bit of sanity. And also the thing to pay attention to is what comes up in the silence. If you've never done this before, you might realize there's some things about yourself that you're not very comfortable with or you don't like all that much. And that's another reason to not stop doing it. You might want to talk with someone about that. But you don't stop creating silence because it's hard Actually, that's the reason why you keep going into it. All right. Have a category for difficult stuff in your life. Silence is one of them. All right. Read a psalm. That's the next thing. So I suggest reading it out loud instead of silently. Read it out loud so you can hear your voice. You can hear yourself saying the words at a deliberate pace. You're not rushing through it. And there's a couple ways to do this. Typically, I'll read the same psalm every day for a week. But right now, I'm on Psalm 131. <clears throat> I've just been planted here for a while. And I'll just read this to you uh, like I read it in the morning. So let's actually, why don't you, um, so I don't feel self-conscious, why don't you close your eyes? And we're going to have like 10 seconds of silence, all right? And then I'm going to read this like I would read it on a, on a morning.
O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. So that's about how I would do that. And it kind of just warms your heart up to the Lord a little bit. It gets you in a good posture. And it's, I like that psalm because, you know, I'm not going to solve all the world's problems today, and it's not my responsibility. That's above my pay grade. There are certain things that I don't need to fret about, certain things that I don't need to worry about. I can trust you, not just with my life, but with the whole universe. And when you go into the day with that perspective, it just kind of calms you out. You're not, you're not worried about what you're going to do next year, what job you want to get when you grow up. You're not worried about tests and school and all that stuff just becomes less pressurized. We take one day at a time. Tomorrow's got enough worries of its own. We, we think about today. And when you go into your day with this mentality that there's some things that are out of my pay grade, you know, just because I have an opinion on something doesn't need to meet, mean I need to share it with the world. You're just kind of a relaxed, non-anxious presence going about your day. You work hard with your hands. You live a quiet life. You're, you know, it's, you're a non-anxious presence in the world. And that's one of the ways I get there through Psalm 131. All right, then after that, you read through a gospel, a paragraph a day. The gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're the biographies of Jesus in Scripture. And if you've never done this, uh, you can start with John or Mark. John pulls back the veil and lets you see into heaven through Jesus. It's a crazy, crazy book. It's um, built around seven signs that Jesus does on earth to point to his divinity. And people are, I mean, it just, it's shocking. Some of the things that he does are shocking. The first miracle that he does is a declaration of war against legalism. Against thinking we can get to God by our own discipline and harshness and goodness instead of God's grace and mercy. He declares war immediately on that. Interesting. Seven signs that Jesus does in the book of John. And then Mark, it's fast-paced. Jesus is going about, you know, he's bringing about the kingdom. He's doing all these crazy things. Everyone in the world is misunderstanding what he's doing, and there's all sorts of amazing lessons for discipleship in Mark. Very fast-paced. If you just want to get moving on something, like I don't want to linger on weird heavenly stuff. I just want to see practical. What was Jesus like? What did he do? You should start with Mark. It's another great one to get going on. And I'm talking one paragraph at a time, four to six verses, that's it. But you're reading it deliberately, out loud, again, because the power isn't in how much you read. The power is in how you read it. You focus on each word. 
Read the passage a handful of times. If it's a narrative, put yourself in the passage. What would you be thinking if you were each of these different characters? How would you be feeling? What would be going through your mind at this moment? Where's the tension? Where is it socially awkward? What's going on? Put yourself in each of the people and it'll come to life. It'll come alive to you. This is so much richer than just blitzing through the Bible. So much better. Next step, as you're reading, listen, listen for a word from God. Now, the theological principle here is that we are the receiver, God is the giver. Even when it comes to this quiet time, we're receivers. Sometimes we read the Bible in kind of a humanistic way, do it without the Spirit's help, and we're just going to study the tar out of this passage and it becomes lifeless. It becomes draining. Because I'm going to force meaning out of this text instead of I'm going to receive meaning out of this text. And the passage that you can look at is James 1.17 in your notes. Every good and perf- every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. It's like anything else. We receive it. If you can do it apart from the Spirit, you're probably not doing it right. Every gift is from God including insights while reading scripture. So I know this is, you know, we're evangelicals, so if it's, if it's not an objective, hardline, precise, it ends here, it begins here, that we get really uncomfortable. But sometimes walking with the Lord is, is subjective. Even though scripture is very objective, there's hard data that we know to be true about God. And the relational component of it, sometimes it gets a little bit more subjective and a little bit less defined. So what should we be looking for? This is, again, David, David Benner and Opening to God's the book that I'm kind of um, using as an anchor point for the next few weeks. It's a meaningful message summed up in a few words, the gentle touch that draws your attention, makes you stop and think, or stimulates a memory or body sensation, that's gonna feel weird for some of you. But sometimes God uses a memory to connect a passage to your life. And I've been reading scripture before and one of the ways that God communicated to me personally in this encounter is bringing up a memory. Like if you're reading about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's praying about something really hard, harder than anything that I'll ever face. But one time I was reading that and I, it brought up a memory of a way that I was praying that was something that was really hard that I had to do. Nothing compared to dying for the sins of the world. But it was really hard nonetheless. That's a beautiful thing about Jesus. He doesn't put that in your face. He says, I'll meet you exactly where you are. And it comforted me, just like, yeah, Jesus is with me. I'm not alone on this. That was my nourishment for the day. That's all I needed. So sometimes he brings up a a memory, this is weird, a body sensation, but sometimes when you're reading and there's a, there's a hit of peace that you get from this encounter with Scripture, or you get really enthusiastic and excited because, man, that applies directly to this thing, and there's just a connection that you get, you get amped about it. So pay attention to those things. Pay attention to what's happening as you're reading Scripture. The important thing is, 
Here's the, the last quote by Benner. There's no need to try to analyze your reaction or to figure out why this particular word speaks to you. Just receive it as a gift and simply allow it to become a gateway to an encounter with the Lord. This is what it means to read the Bible relationally, looking for deeper communion with Christ. Don't try to analyze it. Don't try to put some weird meaning on it. That's when we get in trouble. When we, you know, if, you, if you try to figure out this is what God means by that, you're probably going to say the wrong thing and miss the point. If it's not clear, don't try to force some weird meaning on it. You're just going to get weird. You don't want to do that. Just accept it as a gift and enjoy it. You know? Keep that to yourself. All right, E, respond by writing a few sentences in a journal. Okay, so um, he, he knew better than to come in here because Chad Ackerman was just talking to me before, and he was like, I do not journal, whatever. Like, I don't journal. I just don't do it. I don't, I mean, I think he has before. So, Chad, are you out there? Are you ignoring me? Journaling is good. You're, you're just, you're capturing what God is saying. There he is, Chad. Come on up and share with us some of your journal entries. <laughs> you're, you're just, you know, journaling helps clarify your thoughts. Big Dave said that this, a couple weeks ago. Journey, like he journals and it helps clarify the things that he's thinking about. It, it just has a good effect on your life. Um, you make a mistake when you try to be really profound in your journal. Don't do that. Please do not try to be profound in your journal. Because you know what happens when you just write these simple little things that you discover in quiet time? If you just articulate these insights that God gives you, sometimes writing simple observations becomes very profound. If you're trying to be profound, you're just going to be silly. If you're just writing these observations, it could get profound really quick. And you'll know if you're trying to sound profound. It just doesn't, it just doesn't work. Finally, end in silence. Here's your last quote. Notice that you are ending your prayer time as you began it in silence. Take this contemplative stillness with you as you move out into your day. And the goal is to cultivate contented stillness before God, then bring it with you into your day. That's the goal. That you work yourself into contented stillness first thing in the morning. And then you carry that inner atmosphere with you throughout your day. You don't want to be a source of other people's anxiety and angst. I never know how to say that word. I think it's angst, though. Angst, angst. You don't want to be a source of other people's angst. <laughs> um, anyways, it's getting to be about an hour, so we're going to wrap it up before I start getting silly. <laughs> What's that? Encore? All right, we're going to do it again. We're going to do it again. You, you want to bring this type of peace and settledness to other people. You don't want to be creating all sorts of crazy for them. I don't know any other way to do this than spending that regular time in the morning with the Lord.
the last question for you is when will you create your plan this week? So seriously, we're, we're spending the next few weeks on this so that um, you'll at least be a month deep into this before you quit. I think you're actually going to stay with it, though. I think I believe in you guys. I think you're going to actually do it this year. 2022 is the year that you stay with it because it's going to be a delight instead of a duty. So I want you to actually write down, right now, you're not going to do it if you don't. So right now, you have to look at that little line where I give you space to write down when you're going to make this plan. And, and you got to write it down. you got to show it to the person you live with so they can be like, ah, you said you're going to do that because you'll forget. So write it down right now, seriously. Every pen has to be moving. Did you write it down? Everybody has one? Show your, show your friend or your spouse to the person you, you came with. All right. Trey, you got one? You don't have one, right? All right. We'll help you later. Everybody else has one? Hulk, you got one? Everybody's good? All right. Cool. Any questions? Anybody have any questions? This was the oddest but most fun Sunday morning ever. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.